Hello and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host and I am joined here at the end of 2023, maybe even the end of all things, with Mark LaRocco. Mark, welcome to the Film Pod and welcome to my home. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm here live and in person with you, Josh, in your home, in your uh, one of the most famous recording studios I've ever seen on a podcast. <laughs> you needed to visit some more. Yes, and and you saying the end of all things is very foreboding. Um, and really, it's just the end of another good movie year. So. Oh, we we might have to debate that a little. <laughs> that might uh, ins- you know. Well, so here's the thing. I want this to be a positive episode, like especially after so many this year where I've just really let's let's say I've given negative reviews to a lot of movies that probably deserve negative reviews this year. So this episode, our 69th episode, is going to be the best of 2023. And I'm not being sarcastic. There were some good movies this year, too. And so we're going to focus on the good movies as we break down our top lists. Yes. Um, I, I agree with that. And I think for the first time in a while, I, here's one way to, to spin it. Here's one way I, I urge you to look at the movie here. Celebrate what the audience has celebrated. You know how often there are movies that, that make a lot of money that are, yeah, you know, maybe not that great, but everybody went to them. And I think we know what we're saying. There's a three letter acronym that we're, we're not saying today. Well, <laughs> guess what? That didn't happen this year. The audience who audiences who voted with their feet picked movies. For the first time in 22 years, the top three movies at the box office were not sequels, reboots, remakes, reheats. For the first time since 2001, and they're all pretty good movies. Mm. Well, some of them are very, very good. One yeah. of them is actually on my list. So I'm just saying that that's one thing to celebrate is what the audiences thought were good this year, as opposed to other years. I agree, Mark. I think that is a great way to frame this episode, and uh, we are going to be staying positive. Before we get into our top lists, though, uh, there is one more movie I would like to give a quick review to, which I am not... It, this this one is not on my top list, but it is good enough to recommend. Uh, it came out, I think, either on Christmas or right before Christmas. I saw it a little while ago, but the embargo hadn't passed. Uh, this is the brand new musical version of A Color Purple. You probably... Have already heard of the the Steven Spielberg version from back in the 1980s. Uh, both of these are based on the Alice Walker novel. Uh, it's a story set, I want to say, between World War One and World War Two, kind of 1920s, 1930s. Uh, it, it follows mainly uh, an African American woman named Seely and her journey through. Just some really, you know, rough times, as you can imagine, you know, for an African-American woman in that period of time uh, in the South. uh, Basically, at the beginning of the movie, she is kind of given away into marriage in uh, in a way that, you know, she doesn't really have any determination, you know, no no choice in the matter. She's she's given away by her her stepfather uh, to a man who just goes by Mr. played by Coleman Domingo. And the movie just kind of follows the rest of, of her adult life as she, as she struggles with being kind of a, uh, a wife who is not much more than a maid, kind of a servant around the house. Um, she has a very close relationship with her, her sister, Nettie, who kind of disappears early in the movie. And so her connection with her is a big part of it. 
Uh, eventually, her uh, sister-in-law, Sophia, is also very critical. And so there are, there are a number of characters uh, that are uh, kind of coming and going. And so it's a portrait of kind of this this culture and and in the in the south at this time, and this version is a musical. So mm-hmm. so what's happened is you know there was the book, there was the Spielberg movie, uh, it became a musical, and now they've translated the musical back into movie version. Yeah. Um, so as a musical, not really my thing. Uh, I did like some of the music because they used a lot of kind of like southern. Uh, there's a lot of gospel music and, and stuff, and so I, I enjoyed that more. Uh, the performances are really good. It's a very, you know, it's a, it's a moving story. Um, would not say this is one of my top movies of the year, but I did enjoy um, Fantasia Barino plays Seeley. Uh, Halle Bailey actually plays the, the younger version of Nettie. She, she's the one who the was Little in Mermaid. the... Yeah, she was yeah. in The Little Mermaid. Um, I, said, I mentioned uh, Coleman Domingo. Uh, if you don't know him by name, you might recognize him. He is one of the main characters on... Of course, I'm saying you might because I'm assuming that everybody else watched Fear of the Walking Dead. He was one of the characters on Fear of the Walking Dead. That's the only thing I know him from. I believe he's also Rustin, isn't he? I believe that is correct. Yeah, he's, and, that's his other big movie of the year. Well, yeah. not big, but... So so some. guess what I didn't see this year? Oh, Rustin. Rustin. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, so. you have it somewhere, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sad to admit, I I was given a lot of promotional screeners that I did not, I didn't manage to get through everything. Um, so yeah, uh, Color Purple. If you're familiar with the the book, if you're familiar with the first movie, uh, if you like musicals, I think this is yeah, you know, this is the kind of movie I would give a solid three stars out of four. In addition to the performances, the cinematography is really really pretty this is mm-hmm. like i said it's kind of set in the south i want to say i want to say georgia um i can't remember in exactly but um yeah so yeah again you know not not enough of an impression to really kind of crack my top 10 but uh but it is it is worth your time if if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in so you know, I did see the 85 version, and I believe I may have drafted that in our Spielberg draft. Aha, uh-huh. um, okay, because that was where I was a little bit disadvantaged, because I remember that movie, and I remember it being kind of a big deal, because this was the first time Spielberg had kind of stepped outside of like yeah. the Hollywood blockbuster yep. formula. It was his first foray into, like, going full critical acclaim yeah. mode. Well, and I remember hearing that like yeah. this is him trying to say, hey, I can make these kind Serious of movies stuff. too. Yeah. Right? And and as I recall, it was nominated for Best Picture and, oh, and some tons. awards, but he wasn't nominated for Best Director. Um, I remember, I think it had like 12 or 13 nominations with zero wins. Had yeah. tons of nominations. I don't remember if he was nominated for Best Director or not, but... Because um, he wasn't famously for Jaws, even though that was for Best mm-hmm. Picture, that got a lot of nominations too. But then, of course, in between Jaws and Color Purple, there's plenty of you know Raiders of was... Lost Ark and ET. But I, I did like the movie. I mean, it was a hard watch. Yeah. And it's and it wasn't a musical, just a drama, right. straight up drama. Um, but I mean, Oprah Winfrey and uh, Whoopi Goldberg were amazing in it. Like it was. So remind me... Danny Glover, I think he would have been Mr. So he would have been Mr. Yeah. So, because I think we talked about this briefly before. Who... So so Celie is the character. She's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. She's the one who gets basically given away to, to Mr. against her will to be his wife. 
So who played that character that in '85? Was that been Oprah Whoopi Goldberg? Winfrey. Was that Oprah Winfrey? Or no, Whoopi Goldberg. That was Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I remember that Oprah Winfrey was in this. I remember Whoopi Goldberg was in it, but I couldn't remember who. I didn't know who played who. Yeah. And so I'm kind of watching the new movie, thinking, "Oh, I wonder who this was in the 1985 version." And who knows? Maybe you know I'll have to get around to watching the '85 one once. Once the dust is settled from 2023, but until then, uh, yeah. So put that one on your uh, on your possible list. But yeah. now let's move on to the movies that we're putting on your definite list. Um, I think we agreed to go through our top fives. So so we'll probably touch on a, a bunch of different movies over the course of the of the conversation. But I think for formality. We're gonna we're gonna alternate and and work down from our okay. number five down to one, okay. and just kind of see where this goes. Because so so this is we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. I'm really interested, and and we'll see if the listeners as well. So we could potentially have ten movies to discuss mm-hmm. if we chose five totally different movies from each other. Right. I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. So. The question is, how many movies, how many separate movies are we actually going to identify here? Because the max is ten, the minimum is five. Like if we all chose the exact same five movies, I'm pretty sure we didn't do that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're not going to be in the same order. But uh, I don't know. Just just we'll to kind to of see. set a little suspense here. Yeah, we don't know it. Ha- we don't you know it's on each other's lists. Yes. So, so so do you want to start off? Do you want to? Sure. So so yeah. what is your number five for 2023? Okay. So my number five movie of the year is Air. Okay. This is a movie I saw in the theater. It's the Ben Affleck directed movie about the signing of Michael Jordan to Nike. Yes. Um, and later in the year, I actually read the uh, Phil Knight autobiography called Shoe Dog which is not error. I mean, because okay. error takes place over the course of a sh- very short period of time after Nike was a well-established company, but they were more of a running shoe company yeah. wanting to get into the basketball shoe game. Right. At least the big time, you know, among the top two or three, which yeah. would include Adidas. And so um, to me, it was, I, I, it was a hilarious movie. I didn't expect it to be this funny, first of all. I mean, I feel it like was, I was laughing through a very good portion of the movie. It might have been the funniest movie I saw this year. Right. I think it would, may have been the most I laughed in a theater all year. And I don't think it's meant to be just an out-and-out out comedy. But yeah. it had so... Because there's a lot of, like, slow down, you know, we're selling... What are we really selling with signing Jordan? Where, first of all, they're trying to sell Jordan on the idea of signing with Nike. Mm-hmm. And, and then... And Matt Damon, who's the Sonny of a Carol character, who sort of is the one spearheading this whole thing, he has to sell... Phil Knight on the idea of giving all of their money to Michael Jordan to one player yeah, yeah. instead of dividing it up between others and I one of the things I appreciate about the movie is they go through the 1984 NBA draft at the beginning of the movie and they talk about who's going to be a big star who they should sign yeah and of course Stockton is in that draft Barkley right. you know Kenny Perkins and uh, or uh I can't remember his name now. Oh, Sam Perkins. Sam yeah. Perkins. Yeah, other guys that are like all-star type players, some of them. So, so um, this was the one that I thought was too funny. Yeah. Because at some point, I mean, the it doesn't. It's hard to imagine now, but at the time, Nike had like zero basketball right. cred. Right. Like their their portion of the market was nothing. It was all Converse. It mm-hmm. was all 
Adidas. And even Adidas was like a distant second, I think. Yeah. Um, Converse had like Bird and Magic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I remember when they were going back and forth and trying to decide, well, who could we get? Like who, you know, who's who's like a good player that, that Nike could get onto their, you know, their banner. And and I want to say, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but one of the guys that they threw out as a possibility was somebody that I remember Jordan dunking on when he played for the Jazz. There was some there was some sequence, and it's kind of a famous sequence from like '87, give or take, where Jordan dunked on Stockton, and somebody in the in the Salt Palace crowd said, "Hey, Jordan, pick on someone your own size," and then he comes back down and dunks on our center, whose name I cannot remember. Oh, but he was okay. the guy that they, who was who was like that was Nike's. Okay. Like I can't I can't remember if you know who who if it was a Justin Bateman's character or whoever was saying, "Oh, maybe we could get so and so." Maybe I don't know, we could I think they talked about I don't know if it was Felton Spencer or He was later. Was he, he later? Was in the 90s, yeah. No, this was this was somebody in kind of like the mid to late 80s and I guess around 1984 he was yeah. kind of a I don't know. Interesting. No no offense to this guy. He no, no, he, no. he'd probably find it pretty funny too. Well, I mean Famously, Sam Bowie Bowie was taken right. ahead of Jordan right. and uh, Elijah Wan, which was a great pick. I mean, oh. you know, NBA champion, final, like, number one all-time mm-hmm. in blocks. He was number one, but Jordan was third. Yeah. And um, But, you know, I, one of the things I liked about this movie is Sonny Vaccaro is he's almost, like, prophetic. He just knows Jordan's going to be great. And he, his whole job, I mean, half the movie is just him convincing everybody else around him yeah. That not only is Jordan going to be an all-time great player, but Jordan and his family, and Viola Davis, we should mention, is playing is Jordan's mother. Right. That was one of the things that was insisted upon by, I think it was Jordan himself, that Viola Davis play that role. Um, and she's great in this, but, you know, of course, they, they say, like, when you're, you know, even when you're recruiting, uh, you know, college kids to your football or basketball team, you really got to recruit the mom. You know, right. mom, the dad, right. and that's how it is with signing Jordan. You kind of got to recruit Jordan's mom to Nike, and she's so good in this movie because she's also kind of on Sonny's wavelength. She also senses her son is really going to be mm-hmm. great, and he's already won a national title, like hitting a game-winning shot. Right. He's already done great things, but just for them to give there was, this there kind of money doubt, to was, a rookie, yeah. right? To, to 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 a rookie who had never set foot on an NBA floor was just wildly unprecedented. Yeah. So there, there are two things I remember about this yeah. movie, and then we got to move on because yeah. <laughs> I love this movie too, and yeah. and we're gonna. Did it make your list, by the way? It did. It was oh. my number four. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, we, right. so we already have one overlap. We already have one overlap. Uh, yeah, this was my number four. Two things I remember about Air. First of all, and I think this is the biggest compliment I can give it is that even though I knew it was going to happen, because we all know that yep. this is the story of how Air Jordan became Air Jordan, right? Right. I was still just completely captured like mm-hmm. I was focused I was drawn in I and there was still a sense of suspense and tension even though I knew how it was going to play out yeah this the, the story is very well told and it's presented in a way that keeps you really interested and, and engaged and, right and so like I said I think that's the best compliment I can give it that's a um, good that's a good point and I guess to a slight amendment to what you said is you probably knew what was going to play out, but you but didn't know exactly how, how it was going right. to play out. That's I, part of why you keep watching. And that's, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the second thing, and, and this almost by itself was what gave the movie the R rating. There, there is, <laughs> I mean, the dialogue we mentioned before the how agent. it was really funny. Yeah. 
And part of the reason it's funny is because these guys are just over the Filthy, top, competitive, foul, insane, no. yeah. nuts. And at one point, um, there's a, a showdown because in order to get to Jordan's mom, Sonny, uh, Sonny Vaccaro mm-hmm. has to basically go around Jordan's agent because everybody's supposed to go through the agent. And yeah. was, it, was it Falk? David Falk or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so so he's supposed to go through the agent to get permission to talk to the mom, but the agent won't give him the time of day. He says, Nike, you're out. There's mm-hmm. no way we're going with Adidas. Yeah. So he just goes behind his back and goes out to North Carolina and visits with the mom. And when Falk finds out, there's this conversation on the phone that is just amazing. It's so like, funny. It's yeah. it is extremely profane. And pretty shocking, and so like I wouldn't recommend it just universally, but it it's kind of it's memorable. It's very oh memorable, gosh. and it was one of the scenes that just had us nonstop laughing in the theater for yeah. two or three minutes. I mean, it was because he's, he's just play, he's fire. played by he's Chris so angry. Chris Messina from right. like right. He's been in a few movies like Argo and yeah, stuff. He was in the Mindy him. Project, but he um uh. Anyway, yeah, he's really good in it. I think I like every, I like all the parts they cast. I mean, you get down to the shoe designer, you know, we talked about the agent, mm-hmm. Phil Knight, played by Ben Affleck, uh, Matt Damon is, is Sonny Vaccaro, and um, yeah, it's just, I, I just, I really liked it too. I had a lot of fun. It was good. So, so it was my number four, your number five. So you need to tell us your number five. So I five. need to tell you guys my number five. So my number five is a foreign film from Wim Wenders. Uh, I just watched it a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's called Perfect Days. Um, this is a really, really low-key, really sweet movie that is all about appreciating the little things in life. And if, like me, you have gotten a little burned out on the over-the-top uh, multi-million dollar franchise stuff uh, this is this is the antidote um, the the story just kind of follows the day-to-day life of a middle-aged man who is a janitor in Tokyo so he is basically responsible for cleaning public bathrooms and one of the takeaways now it's 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 not a very well it's clearly not a distinguished and respected job and that's part of the the story is kind of how he's this super Mm. humble person um but you also kind of come away thinking wow people in tokyo are really really considerate of the bathrooms because when he's in there when you see him cleaning he's not like cleaning up these horrible messes or anything it's just kind of like just let's just say that i would be pretty happy if when going out to uh, national parks and various you know public facilities if they looked as nice as the ones in this movie oh i would be but but <laughs> beyond that it's still this the point is still that he's he's been very humbled and and it's kind of the story of how he interacts day to day like he's basically got a partner that he works with uh who's kind of this funny character who's going after this girl and kind of having tough times with his love life um, but one bit at a time, we uncover what else is going on in this, this man's life. Um, I should, instead of saying this man, I should, you know, the, the character's name is uh, Hirayama. He's played by Koji Yakusho. Um, and 
we meet his niece who just comes to visit him and then through her we meet his sister and so you kind of get a sense of you know he kind of came from more of a privileged place or at least his family has a little more money yeah and so you kind of get the sense that he has chosen this life to kind of separate himself from maybe some worldly concerns and and uh you know just along the way you you see him he, he always takes a picture of this this tree that kind of blows in the breeze when he's taking a break uh, for you know for his lunch or whatever and it's you know there's not this is this is not a twisting and turning plot there's there's mm-hmm. not this is very much character driven it's a character sketch um but even if you do you know even if you did really enjoy the franchise stuff this year this is just a sweet movie that i would 100 percent recommend to anybody who's inclined for something that's a little more of a change of pace and you know it's it's very quiet it's very slow this is not going to keep you on the edge of your seat uh but if if you have any of these kind of inclinations at all i i really adored this movie do you know where it's available to watch um how about i pull up imdb here? and also i had a question so vin benders is a german filmmaker right who did wings of desire is this a german movie Um, I mean, it's set in Japan, they're speaking Japanese, and the subtitles are in English. At least on the screener that I got from the good people at Neon. (laughs) um, I wonder if it's a Japanese movie. Well, and I'm not entirely sure where... Maybe it's on Paramount Plus? Oh, that, I could, if it is, I could, I have that, I could watch it. That, yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I will have to check that out. I have not seen that one. Yeah, so that's that's my number five. Uh, you already know my number four, Mr. Larocco. Yes. What's your number four? Okay, my number four is a movie I just saw last night called Past Lives. Oh. And is that on, that's on your list too? You bet, you bet it is. Okay. Is it your number one? I've debated about it. Okay. I've really thought about it. It's not at the moment. But honestly, it's, my top five are kind of interchangeable. Yeah, I think I, I know. would be perfectly happy to put any one of these five on number one. Well, I just thought it was such a brilliant. These are this is one of those movies where, um, first of all, I have to praise the restraint. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no big home run moments. There's no big blow ups, screaming fights. There's no, you know, like sex scenes, violent scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a really simple quiet movie about longing and yearning and it's like a, a giant what if scenario yeah well so so the so basic did, idea yeah, yeah so break it down so the basic premise is it starts in south korea mm-hmm. and you have a pair of i think they're 12 years old they're i mean they're like grade school age yeah uh a boy and a girl kind of like best friends maybe a little bit more kind of a crushes and you know kind of like your your proto boyfriend girlfriend relationship yeah. and then the uh, the girl and her family moved to America, and yeah. and I think that part of her objective is that she wants to be like an award winning writer. She wants to win the Nobel Prize. Or well, something like yeah, that. Nobel Pulitzer. Tony. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but at, at any rate, her family moves her away. So she's separated from this this uh, young young man, and he stays behind in Korea. She goes to America, and they kind of lose track of each other. You know, because mm-hmm. I mean. How how likely is it that at that age you, right. would, you would actually maintain contact? Um, and and 
as adults, they're kind of set in contemporary times. So this this would have been like, I think thirty years ago is when they're saying it, or twenty years ago. Well, yeah, it's twenty four twelve, and then present day. Right, right. Yeah. So so they start at twelve, and then the movie jumps ahead when years. they're in their kind of their mid twenties, mm-hmm. and they reconnect with social media. Yeah. And communicate and kind of rekindle a friendship slash relationship that there's kind of the question of can this be something more because they're still on opposite sides of the world. Um, and then, you know, because I, I don't want to give away too much here. Yeah. But but basically, then the movie, uh, again, jumps ahead another 10 years. And so it's kind of the question, the, the question that drives the plot is are they going to get together? How are they going to deal with the circumstances that have followed as they've followed their life's paths mm-hmm. and it's just this incredible like it's it's a love story and it's not a love story it's kind of about unrequited love in a way and you know kind of yeah. one of those things that makes you question oh what about so and so that I knew years ago and what's happened to them now and what would happen if I reconnected with somebody and, and yeah but I just I love how adult how 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 do i say this how good the characters are like they're good people they're right. adults that are like considering the feelings of others there's such a sensitivity in the way they talk to each other and the way that they cuz i mean i guess you you should say this cuz i don't we well, we don't want to confuse people right so yeah. what's basically happened and this is like the last act of the movie and it's a long act is is the the character Nora, who's played by Greta Lee, is mm-hmm. is married to an American right. writer that so, she met. So in the interim, so right. so so they don't get together right. after they reconnect online because neither one's really willing to like move. Right, right? they live right. in other sides, opposite sides of the world, and without getting into it too much, they realize it lo- that it just if anything real is going to happen in their relationship, it just can't continue over Skype when they each right. are going their separate right. ways. Right. So then another 12 years pass. And on the screen, it actually says that 12 years pass, right? Yeah. So we're now into, I guess we'll call it present day, you know, 2022, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, the movie came out like basically a year ago. And so she has, she's met somebody at a writer's residency in Montauk, which is mm-hmm. where Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind takes place. And, and they begin their life as a married couple and they have a happy life. And then there's, there's another sort of, I guess you could say a third connection where they they can actually meet in person. It's the guy Hei Sung, which is the Korean man mm-hmm. and this woman who is now in her mid to late thirties. Yeah. Um, who is, uh, Greta Lee and her name is Nora. Um, uh, she goes by Nora now and she can speak English without an accent. I mean, there's a lot that's happened in this, in this, these lives oh, of yeah. these people, they've, right? They've really gone far down they, separate paths. Right. They've already gone down separate paths, but one of the, the themes of the movie is sort of like fate or providence yeah. or like, are, or is it possible for people who are meant to be together? Maybe they would have been together in another life or another reality or another universe. Yeah. I don't want to get in the multiverse right. thing, but the characters <laughs> please, sort of broach the subject a little bit. I mean, they do. They talk about like um, other lives that could have been lived where they could have been together. And there's such a sweetness kind of tinged with sadness to this movie because yeah, it's it's the very... movie wants you to feel like these people do have a deep, meaningful connection. In fact, I almost 
kind of disagree with you a little bit. I almost feel like it's not quite unrequited love because they do have a loving connection. It, it, you know, and, and I don't want to spoil, but like, you know, you, you where it goes, I think is a beautiful, just perfect ending. Yeah. And, um, well, and- it's about yearning and it's about longing, but it's also about restraint, like the things that, that maybe don't happen. And that's, I guess you know, that's in a normal why, movie. Yeah. Right? And I guess that's why I keep wanting to use the word adult to describe it. Adult, right. Adult in a proper term, mm-hmm. right. In proper sense, like in, in different hands and in different circumstances, this movie could go in very, very different directions with its story. Right. But I, even though it's melancholy, like it's a very melancholy yeah. movie. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, there's, this is a very bittersweet movie. I love the way that they tell this story. And mm-hmm. I love the story itself because it, it feels so genuine and so real right. and so meaningful that, I mean, as, as I was looking over my total list for this thing and maybe, maybe there's nothing new about this or nothing unique, but the movies that I wound up picking were the movies that just really resonated with me. And, right. and in some cases like this one in particular, they're movies that just really hit me, you mm-hmm. know, just, just made me think about my own life, made me think about my own experience. And, and this one was just yep. so well done. And I, I yeah. as much as I, that's, that, I guess that's why I would say that I rank, rank it above perfect days is because they both made me feel a lot of the same kind of emotions and reactions, but past lives just hit me even harder. Yeah. Um, I had it as my number two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's as great. Of, I as mean, of right now, it's my number two. Well, here's the thing I was trying to wrestle with today, because I didn't... See, I saw the movie last night. I, okay. we, we got done at like 11.30, and now we're recording tonight at, you know, 7. And so it's been less than 24 hours, and I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about it a lot. I... Um, it may be a movie that I'll revisit, because now that I own it, <laughs> revisit pretty soon, and maybe <laughs> like it even more. I mean... One thing I like about it, and I'm going to throw out a big name here, so everybody don't freak out on me. Brace but Brace yourself. Casablanca is a movie oh, yeah. that has a really yeah. beautiful ending about good people trying to do the right thing under kind of a hard <laughs> circumstance. Now, of course, that's in a war zone in, in Vichy, you know, Nazi-occupied France. This is just in, like, New York City, present day, basically. Mm-hmm. But, like, and the stakes aren't. It's just the lives of these three people, right? We're not talking yeah, about major world-breaking right. stakes. It's very intimate. It's an intimate portrait. and But these three people, you care about them so much. You want good for them. You want good things to happen to them. But you realize, like, for all of them to be, like, maybe perfectly happy in the way that they could potentially be, yeah. it's not going to work out exactly, well, right? That's, that's what I mean, is yeah. that I feel like a Hollywood version of this would have ended in a totally different way. Yeah. And, and probably... Would have, have done fine. Some, well, it would have done fine, and it also yeah. would have been unethical. Right. right. Like, yeah, it would have been unethical, and I, would have been maybe kind of icky, or maybe just kind of yeah. like, yeah, that's what happens. But this, but like, is, this is what should have happened. And, the, and, and these are, yeah, these are good people. And and it really, it's the, the writer, director, we should call it, it's her first movie, Celine Song. Wow. It's a semi-autobiographical movie about something that happened to her when she was a writer immigrating, basically, from... Uh-huh. Korea to Canada because they kind of start on Toronto. They go they go to Toronto, which is where lots of immigrants go, um, especially from Asian countries. And she she marries a writer, you know, and and like so you kind of wonder like, wow, I wonder how much of this really is she just stuck her own life into this movie and really yeah. poured her heart and soul into it. I feel like because 
Well, it feels real. I don't know if you remember The Farewell from 2019. I do. I this movie had another... I, I mean, I just compared it to Casablanca, which I know is one of the all-time greats, but there's a lot of similarities in how much you really want these characters to like find happiness in mm-hmm. what happens with Casablanca. Yeah. And um, anyway... Yeah, I, no, I I'm really glad, liked I'm it. glad you got to see that one because that was that was one of the ones I want to say it was the last movie I saw before I submitted my critics ballot for this year, and I really debated whether to put it as number one on my list. Even now, I yeah I would be perfectly happy to put it as number one for the year. Well, it, you kind of want to champion it over some of the really big movies. I guess I'm not doing oh, that sure. with my list, but yeah. you kind of want to because it's definitely a smaller budget. A24 picked it up. It's a first time, you know, it's a debut. Mm-hmm. Um, not a well-known filmmaker, and so uh, it's yeah, really, really nice movie. Okay, so so we have covered number five, number four, and number two on my list, and number five and number four on your list. So what? So I think we are now onto your number three. Wait, have we done five and four on your list? Yes, because four was air. Oh, okay, and yeah. five was. And five was perfect date. Perfect date. Okay, so we're at three on both of our lists. Yes. Okay. Unless it's the same movie. What if it's the same movie? Okay. <laughs> what have you got? What's number three? Uh, I mean, I'm going big. I'm going huge. Okay. It's Oppie. I'm going with Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, it because was... mine is also big, but not the same one. Okay. Yeah. I I loved this. I mean, movie. I I know that it was. Um, it was another movie I had to really Oppie. think about after I saw. I know, I was thinking, like, Oppie sounds like a name for a kid, and he's such a big figure in, in American, you know, mid-20th century political history. He's so important. It, it almost makes sense that we have this big, long name, you know, that we're, we're calling the yeah, movie, and that yeah. he's called J. Robert Oppenheimer. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting, like, one of the themes I've seen through the, and maybe this theme will actually run as an undercurrent through my entire list, is storytelling. Mm. Um. By the way, I'm not picking Asteroid City, in case anyone's wondering out <laughs> there. But, like, this story, like, past lives would be interesting, interesting told completely by one of the characters, for example. Instead of just sort of, like, a objective view of, of all of them. But mainly, it's it's Nora's story, really. Okay. But, like, what this movie, um, apparently, is the first time a script has been written entirely subjectively in first person. This Oppenheimer movie. And um, it really takes place over three major events. I mean, it tries to go through a lot of Oppenheimer's life, but there's um, his clearance, security clearance hearing. There's this Strauss hearing, and Strauss is sort of cast as like this villainous character who's trying to take down Oppenheimer um, late in the movie. And then there's the early life uh, up to the Trinity test and a little bit beyond that of Oppenheimer. And and for those of you who don't know, this is the man who developed the um, atomic bomb, right? which, you know, ended up killing hundreds of thousands of people in Japan, in, in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and then began to regret and feel some sense of guilt over it um, and, and try to reclaim his place in history and h- h- trying to justify his reasonings for do- reasons for doing it, which, for example, were to defeat the Nazis. But by the time the bomb was developed, Germany they was out of the war. It was yeah, just Japan right, at that right. point. So it's such a really good story, and I, I would encourage you, if you really are interested, to read American Prometheus, which is the story on which the movie is based. And I was I was impressed at how well the movie captured the, the book yeah. for, for an extremely dense biography that just is a lot. I mean, I think it was a 26-hour, 27-hour audiobook. 
Um, and a lot of them are 10, 12 hours. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a big work. Um, but this is Christopher Nolan's, some say masterpiece. I don't think it's quite that, but it's very good. And um, he kind of just uses all powers at his disposal. You know, gets all the best actors, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, apparently detonates a bomb <laughs> as part of the movie. <laughs> the Trinity test is extremely tense that where they test the bomb before they're going to go use it in Japan. Like it's a really great scene. And um, I thought the music, which is not Hans Zimmer, who's usually like the composer for Christopher Nolan. Oh, it's Ludwig Göransson. No, but I think he was, maybe he was busy. I, I don't was... know. I don't know what he did this year. I can't remember. I know he, he had done Dune. That week. Yeah, he did Dune, but that was already like done. It's just coming out in a few months. But anyway, yeah, it's Ludwig Göransson is yeah. his name. And it's a good soundtrack. I've listened to it a bunch. And um, anyway, I, I thought it was... Uh, a great look at a, at an extremely complicated character. It's not one of these fluffy biopics. Like he's he's perfect. I mean he's he's unfaithful in his marriage. He's not a good dad. Has no interest in really being a father. One of the shocking scenes I remember reading in the book that's that's also kind of in the movie is he basically offers his his uh, the nanny or maid to like adopt his children because he just doesn't spend a lot of time with them. Cool. And, and like her reaction is great. Cause it's like, did you just ask me that, you know, essentially in the book. Um, and so he's not a, he's, he's definitely a flawed character. Um, he dabbles in with, you know, communism and, and, um, which is a huge plot point in the movie. It, it, it's one of those things that gets overblown. Like what were his connections to, mm -hmm. to communism? Um, would he really have gotten involved in like the Spanish civil war or things like that? Um, it's a lot of, it's a lot. I mean, it's a big movie. It's a lot of characters. Um, in some ways, it's kind of the opposite of a movie like Past Lives. You know, right. a simple, sweet movie about three people mm -hmm. and, um, you know, long, lingering shots, <laughs> longing glances. I mean, this movie moves fairly quickly, and it's a three-hour film. Mm. Um, and so... I liked it. I do. I do want to see it again. I, I when I saw it, there were parts I did not want to see, so it didn't. So I figured out how to do that through this app I mentioned before called Run P. Uh, <laughs> I don't really like the name, but yes, it's called Run P. <laughs> you can go to runp.com. Um, so yeah, I what still did you have think not seen it. Oh, you uh, still haven't I, seen it? Yeah, okay. it is on. So I, I've mentioned. I think I mentioned in the last episode how we all turn in our ballots and then we have a kind of a collection of final nominees that we're going to vote on at the beginning of January. So once the final nominee list comes out, that's when I know, oh, okay, I need to make sure I catch up on these. And, you know, Oppenheimer has been kind of one of the big ones missing on my list yeah. all year. So, yeah, so I'm going to have to find a find a way to get that one taken care of in the next week or so. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I it's, it's one of those that did not feel long or did not feel too long. And, it, and I was just really into it it's it did help that i had read the book because i think it is hard to keep track of all the characters yeah and there's tons of great actors in it kenneth branagh and mm -hmm. gary oldman plays truman uh there's a great scene in the oval office between so truman he's and, so he's played truman and he's played winston Churchill, but not not stalin but not that's stalin. what he needs to complete the trifecta that's the uh there the potsdam go. conference or, or whatever or maybe, it's called maybe fdr yeah um but anyway he uh, yeah it's and it's got matt damon in it emily blunt plays his wife yeah. kitty 
uh, Florence Pugh as his sometime lover, uh, Jean Tatlock. And honestly, because of the limited screen time she gets, which apparently is nude scenes, I didn't really see her in the movie. The but, Florence Pugh? Yeah, the funny thing is yeah. apparently her entire scenes in the movie are just, I guess, like nude scenes with, with yeah. Oppenheimer. But um, So she just gets a few minutes, but it's really like Oppenheimer's, or Killian Murphy's movie. Yeah. I mean, his, like I said, it's kind of a subjective from his point of view. Um, I, I think he's a good, after seeing the movie and reading the book, I don't feel like he's an immoral, uh, well, in some ways he is. But I mean, in terms of his service to the country and what he wanted to do with the Los Alamos project and his intentions in helping develop the bomb, I think they were as, I guess, as pure as you can be for somebody who developed an atomic weapon like that. Yeah, right. um, you know, I, I mean, what were we willing to do to defeat Nazism and, and to win the war? Um, and he had great talent. You know, one of the smartest guys alive. Um, but then he... Anyway, I think it's something that you should see. Okay, so funny enough, my number three also has deep roots in World War II and in atomic weaponry. It's Godzilla Minus One. Uh, this is one that I saw in the theater. I did not, uh, this was not a screener. This was not a, a screener link or a DVD or anything like that. Uh, this one I saw in the theater. I totally recommend it to be seen as such. And holy cow, it was fun. Like this was, it's, I've always been kind of a Godzilla fan. And I would kind of say that this is the Godzilla movie I've always wanted them to make. Now, I, mm. I really liked the one in 2014. Uh, the sequels, you know, Godzilla vs. Kong, King of the Monsters, they were okay. They were fine. They yeah. were definitely flawed. Um, this one was just incredible. It was by the same people who did the original back in the 50s. This was the, the Toho uh, studio. Oh, same studio. And, yeah. And, you know, it, what's what's amazing is it's very intense. So it's it's played seriously, but with just a touch of campiness. So there's a little bit of humor, but it's played for real. Like it's, there's this sincerity to it and you watch this. And so you just talked about how, you know, the impact of the atomic bomb and the lives that were lost and kind of the, the, the questions of ethics and morality, you kind of get that from this movie too, mm -hmm. because you're, even though it's like being taking the form of this, big rubber monster or CGI monster or whatever. Yeah. You also really feel for this is kind of how, if not the Japanese people, but the people behind the movie have tried to reconcile what happened to them at the end of world war two. Mm -hmm. And that really comes through in this really surprising way, because again, it's like this kind of cornball monster movie, but there are these really, really you know, powerful themes and tones that come through. And, and a big part of that is because the protagonist is this human character who was a kamikaze pilot in World War II who decided not to follow through on his mission. And so he's wrestling with the guilt of not killing himself for the yeah. war effort. Right. And so facing down Godzilla kind of becomes his life mission. And so his story, which is running parallel to the whole Godzilla's coming to Japan to destroy us, gives the movie like this this weight that hmm. you kind of just have to see to appreciate. Because, I mean, I'm as I'm saying this out loud, it, it sounds weird. Like it really doesn't sound, you know, because yeah. we're, we're used to Transformers movies where you have Shia LaBeouf playing this character who's just 
oh, I wish these humans would go away because I just want to see the robots fight, right? Mm -hmm. This is not that at all. Like, the Godzilla scenes are incredible. The human stories are fantastic. Like, it's it's so, the best Godzilla movie I've ever seen. So is... And it's a, <laughs> and it's a good movie, period. Right. So, so is it like a five star? Are you saying it's like that good or four and a half? I mean, I would... If, if five is the, the number... I'd be, or four, sorry. I, I do a five. You do four stars. That's star, okay. Yeah. I mean, I would, if if four stars is the top, then I would say it's definitely a three and a half. Because I think of three and a half as a good movie that impressed me. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Color Purple was a good movie. It was good. Even though I'm not into musicals, I still appreciated a lot of things about it. I say this yeah. is a solid good movie. Godzilla impressed me. Yeah. Like it was beyond, oh, that's just a good movie. It was like, wow, I was kind of taken aback by that. That kind of surprised me with how good it was. So here's a question I have. Well, two questions, but I mean, one of them is, I don't want it to be a spoiler, but I do not understand the minus one. Like, is I'm not entirely sure if I missed something. Okay. I I didn't get that title. I just kept thinking, why are they calling a movie? Uh, I wish wish you hadn't asked because I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other question. I just wondered that. I just haven't looked it up. And maybe this is an obvious one, but does Godzilla represent, like, the atomic bomb? Because he, he well, like, unleashes havoc, and he, like, he just, he can, like, kill, flatten entire cities. I think that's cities, the right? idea. Okay. I mean, I think the original idea is that he was Or the Tokyo of, Air Raids right after, like, so, uh, the ca- captain... Well, I mean, he's, he's right born after, of atomic radiation. Like... Okay. So, so it's more, yeah, it would be the bomb. So there, well, so the way it's told in this movie... And I can't remember exactly if this is the way it was in the very, very first movie. Um, but there's a there's an opening scene where there's a group of World War Two, you know, so the so Japanese military, and they're on this island. Mm-hmm. And they're attacked by Godzilla, but it's a smaller version of Godzilla. And this is supposedly his natural state, which is still, like, several stories high. He's still... Yeah. He, but he's kind of more like a glorified dinosaur. But then after the atomic weapons testing and stuff that follows the war, that's what mutates him into this city-destroying yeah. monster. Okay. So, so, and I, that's also kind of the concept of the original movie was that he's this monster that has been mutated by atomic radiation into this mm-hmm. behemoth. Yeah. And then he comes ashore so whether he's meant to be a metaphor for the bomb itself or just the interpretation of the effects of the bomb the the bomb and nuclear testing and all this it still kind of adds up to the same thing and like i said the thing that really kind of surprised me was how you just you just get a sense that this is this is someone trying to process the impact of this real world event yeah in a admittedly really you know creative and kind of crazy way you know because it's still i mean it's not a man in a rubber suit stomping around anymore but it's still yeah a big it's a monster movie so yeah i mean the more the more time goes on the more i think fondly of it i mean there, there are movies that i enjoy in the moment and then afterwards i don't care if i ever see that again yeah or I just forget about it this one i fully plan to get a permanent copy of yeah you know once i would like once the good people it. of toho make it available <laughs> so that's my that's my number three K- 
Okay. Godzilla minus one equals three. Okay, so I will do my, since you're number two, maybe one, but maybe it's past lives, I could do yeah, my well, number well, two. Yeah, for, well, for right now, past yeah. lives is my number two. So okay. what's what's your number two? So my number two, I think, is another movie that you haven't seen. It's Sound of Freedom. Oh, right. And I remember coming out of that and talking to you about so it. So I know you're number one now. You probably do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Um. so my... Yeah, I, let me just... Sorry to distract you. No, it's okay. I um, This movie really shocked and surprised me in a lot of ways because um, it's the story of a man who is now become infamous for various reasons. His name's Tim Ballard. Yeah. He started this thing called Operation Underground let's just, Railroad. Let's just say it's an emerging story. It's right? an emerging story. It doesn't change my view of the movie at all because I just think movie we go to movies for feelings and not facts that's kind of how i felt about like jfk for example which was in my top 10 um in 99 when i made my first like top 10 all-time favorite movies list jfk was on there which maybe that's another episode we need to do yeah we really should because we've done the top three or our three yeah we should i because it's i would like to see where i'm at now i don't think it would be anymore but that but like that's an example of a movie that i just loved all the different things Oliver Stone used to tell the story, and I didn't even care. Like, I'm not. I don't think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Whatever. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, like if you're if you're saying feelings over facts. Well, I, <laughs> what but what I'm saying is like I don't go to the movie to find out the truth about something. Sometimes you sometimes you watch a documentary like I want to learn something, but that's why I do research after a movie or I read a book about it, mm-hmm. and I'm like you know, like anyway, the experience of seeing this. It's probably manipulative in some ways. It's probably propagandistic. I mean, it starts showing real... The beginning of the movie is real footage of kidnappings, Mm. right? Like, during the opening credits. Like, real footage of kidnappings with this horrifying, kind of eerie score. And you're just like, what what the heck? And then, you know, because you sort of know what the movie is about, which is really human trafficking of children Mm -hmm. and people trying to put a stop to it, and then people going to great lengths, maybe going a little too far to try to put a stop to, to sex trafficking of children. Um, you, you see a little girl somewhere in an unnamed South American country, like singing to herself and, and like she has some talent and she, she wants to be a little bit bigger, a little you know, more famous. And then a woman comes to the house to sort of recruit her. And you just get this icky kind of sick feeling thinking like, this isn't what it, it's meant to be. Like, this is some kind of scam. Yeah. Right. Like, is this girl going to get to go be in a beauty pageant or is this something going to happen to her? And it's pretty horrifying. And she's got a dad and she doesn't have a mom and, and the dad's trying to figure out. And so this movie doesn't start with like Tim Ballard or his exploits. Cause at first he's working locally trying to stop child pornographers um, in the U S but he's, he's learned that a lot of child pornography is developed or, or created outside of the U S outside of his jurisdiction. And he wants permission to go outside of the U.S. and, like, hunt these people down. And so he has to kind of hook up with some people that were maybe people that were formerly in that sort of underworld to, like, get at the really worst of the worst Mm -hmm. and learn to play a role and uh, learn to, like, pretend like he's also interested in child sex slaves in order to, like, meet these people and network with them and then bam, you know, some huge sting operation. And it's extremely suspenseful because you feel like at any moment, one wrong word, one wrong thing that gets said, one suspicion that's confirmed by by one of the really bad guys could just make the whole operation go south. 
And it's and one of the things I like about it, we talked about champion like smaller movies sometimes where you know this has a very small budget. Um, it doesn't have big name actors other than Jim Caviezel. I was going to say he plays Tim Ballard. Yeah. He also played Jesus Christ in The Passion of the Christ. He's in Frequency. He's in he, Person of Interest. What was it? Person of Interest. The, the TV, TV show. show. Yeah. 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 He no, he's been great. in some I, things. And um, he was in The Wonder Years. The one he was in The Wonder Years. Yes. He plays a character that you would swear is a young John Stockton. Okay. He does kind of have that look. He oh, has he a young John Stockton look. But he that's a has this. But anyway, so <laughs> I just thought he did great in it. Um, he, he feels like it's almost like a religious mission of his to, to hunt these people down. He quotes Bible scriptures. I know this is the kind of movie that certainly makes some people uncomfortable. And, and it sort of attracted a... a a, a group of people who believe in some pretty far right conspiracy theories about the government mm. that are probably not true, but like the movie itself is still good. It's just a thrilling suspense movie um, about, you know, hunting down child so, sex traffickers. So would you say that this is a movie that you can enjoy as a movie, but that you should take it with a grain of salt in terms of whether, I mean, the, the subject matter is obviously real. The subject matter is real. It's extremely dark. It's surprisingly, it's a PG-13 movie, but I remember talking to, I went and saw it with my wife and we're like, our kids cannot like even know about this. You know, it's just such a dark subject matter. And, um, there's times where there's something implied that's happening or that's going to happen between like an adult man and a a young girl or, or young boy. And, and um, and there's a little bit of hint. I mean, it doesn't obviously show any child pornography, but like there's child pornographers in the movie, like looking yeah. at computer screens, and and it's just the implication. The implication is there, and so it it really. I was thinking of like if a movie sort of impel like motivated you to action to be like, I want to help put a stop to this too. And there's even sort of a shameless plug at the end of the movie, like to the the theater goers mm-hmm. from Jim Caviezel, like. Hey, if you want to donate, tell people about this movie. You can donate money to this organization. You can do this. You know, I was thinking about movies that have uh, an obviously like an agenda, and it might be like an anti-slavery movie, like Twelve Years a Slave, or a movie like Schindler's List, or Unplanned, which is an anti-abortion movie, mm-hmm. or um, like Spotlight. You know, oh, okay, like if yeah, you've seen, right, I, right. I'm not saying this is really like as good as any of those movies, um, but it's certainly in that same vein of that gotcha, style yeah. of a movie. Um, it, you know, it's a hero's journey movie. Um, a lot of, I think there's a little bit of religious symbolism in it. I mean, he's sort of like, there, there's some ways where he's like a messianic figure, this, this Tim Ballard. And, and again, maybe he's, he's, he's in some ways more of a, he's a scam artist. I don't know. You know, I just don't know. There's so many allegations out there right now. You just don't know what's really going to happen. Um, he apparently wants to run for Senate, but, um, Sean Reyes has distanced himself from okay. Tim Ballard. I mean, getting into a tangent again with Utah politics. Well, that's, that's but, what's so hard, right? Is but that... it's hard not to talk about that because that's now part of the story, right? Yeah, yeah. But the movie itself was made years ago. It was just released in 2023. It was actually not distributed until this year, but it was made two or three years ago mm. um, or four years ago, something like that. And it was, a, it was kind of a really word-of-mouth success. And in terms of, like, profit margin... It wasn't the number one movie there, like, box office-wise, right? Like, that was Barbie and Super Mario Brothers. But, like, in terms of box office, 
Yeah. Which are the movies we picked for number one, right? <laughs> Don't spoil it. This movie was a, was a great success you oh, know, yeah. from this studio and Provo and Angel Studios. So, yeah, that's my number two of the year. And I was thinking about, like, it's a little bit of an offbeat choice. And I kind of did that last year with my number two. My number one was a bigger movie. My number two was Weird, yeah. the Weird Al. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's hear your number I guess well, so, one. Well, because that's the thing is we're down. We're we are now down to our number ones. Right. Since since you picked my number two, for your number four, I think. Yeah. So, now I know, I would I would be willing to to bet some pretty good money at this point. Were I a betting man, what your number one is. So. Do you want Do you want me to see if I can name your number one? Yeah, go ahead. It's Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, it right? is. Yeah. So. Is that yours? No. No, what's your number one? Well, you... Let's, Do you want me to talk about Killing Yeah, let's, let's, okay. cover, let's cover that first, and then, okay. let's, then we'll see if you can guess it. Oh, I don't... I don't know if I can. Okay, well, let me talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. This is Martin Scorsese's sort of epic, historical, western uh, drama. The epic in terms of three and a half hours. Three hours, 26 minutes. I loved oh, every I'm minute sorry. of it. I could I, not believe. I padded it by four minutes. I'm the guy that has to, <laughs> even in short movies, has to always take a bathroom break. Sorry to get personal here with you people, but I did not get up once in this movie. I don't know yeah. how it happened. I was sitting there watching a, a Friday night, never nine thirty like showing, yeah. never dragged, eating, drinking a bucked up energy drink. Maybe that was part of what helped, but like, is that the brand name? Yeah, it's called bucked it's up. It's called bucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, blood orange flavor. We almost got a mature rating. Just, uh... No, it's bucked up with a B. And um, anyway, this is another book that I, or another movie that I luckily had the pleasure of reading the book this year. This is a David okay. Grand novel um, called Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a story about the FBI, the birth of the FBI and the Osage Nation and what happens to them. And essentially the plot is that the Osage people, uh, Indian people in, in the late 1800s have been driven from multiple lands by the government and were finally given land in Osage uh, County, Oklahoma, right. which is now their land, and they strike black gold. They strike oil, and because of the laws at that time, they get to benefit from the money that the oil produces. They don't get a final, like, the say over spending all the money. It still has to be sort of but they, but they get enough to... They get enough to get what they want, basically. Yeah, yeah. And um, And then what begins to happen, and this, and in the book it's more of a mystery than it is in the movie. Because in the book you don't know really yeah, who's doing it. The, mis- the, the movie um, is not very mysterious. The movie is not meant to be mysterious. And it's interesting, and because the original screenplay that was written was more closely followed the book, where who's doing these murders, who's killing all the Indians and stealing their money... And because the local government is so corrupt, the FBI is called in, and the FBI needs a win. They had had some like public affairs disasters, and they're pretty new. I mean, they're within the first ten or so years of that organization, fifteen years maybe, that they send a man, a Texas lawman named Tom White, to the Osage people to help solve the murders. And this was originally going to be Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, eventually, the screenplay got rewritten to be a little bit more from uh, Molly Burkhart's point of view, who's Lily Gladstone, the actress Lily Gladstone. And she's the main sort of protagonist in the movie mm-hmm. um, who, who marries Ernest Burkhart, who is Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie, um, and then has family members that, that, are, that are dying under mysterious circumstances. 
Um, I mean, some of them, I don't mean to say mysterious, some of them are obviously murders, you know, like getting shot, whatever. Um, She, and so what we, what, what happens is, um, and I guess this isn't really a, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but, but there's, there's an uncle figure to Ernest Burkhart, which is William Hale, and he's sort of like the de facto leader of the county in some ways. Yeah. Um, and he's somebody that presents himself as a benefactor to the Indians, and they thank him, and he's he's sort of the one orchestrating these murders yeah. with many other people and in see, the county. And I wouldn't I wouldn't call that a spoiler. I don't think it's a spoiler for the book. I, I it is. You you know right almost explicitly that he's involved if not behind it yeah from the trailer first act yeah and in the first act and if you see forget the trailers well in the movie like by the end of the first act yeah i knew that leonardo the Ernest, right he's a bad guy because he's willing to go out at night with his friends and steal yeah petty thief and stuff and and the way that you know de niro is playing this guy is just like he's playing him as as slick and slimy as all get out. Right. And then all these people start dying. And so, like, I, I really don't think that that Scorsese was trying to... There, there's no mystery to it. Cards. And well, in fact, one of the shocking the, things the about the movie... The mystery is how far is it going to go? How far is it going to go? I mean, much of the film, even though it's sort of... Some people say it's Molly's film, Lily Gladstone's movie, a lot of scenes are sort of conspiratorial conversations between DiCaprio and De Niro. Yeah. Between Ernest Burkhart and King Hale, as he likes to be called. William Hale, who wants to be called King. Um, uh, which is, I guess, kind of how he treats people sometimes. But, like, I, I, the the thing that I loved about this movie is, first of all, the acting is, is amazing. Like, because there's this way that DiCaprio contorts his face to where he's, like, he, he's a pretty simple. He's a simpleton. He's right. not a really smart guy. Oh yeah. He's, he's openly greedy. Kind of admits he's, it. He's not he loves bra- money and women. He's not the brains behind it. He's not the brains behind anything. And in fact, <laughs> many of the people involved in these murders, it's amazing they got away with it for so long because they're so yeah. clumsily done sometimes. Right. But like they do, they do get away with it. And well, not entirely. But but I'm not. <laughs> maybe, again, I'm not going to spoil that's anything. The part we can't spoil. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil really what happens. But like. Um, Anyway, like DiCaprio has this look on his face where his brow is furrowed, and he has sort of a a, a, a grimace, like a frown, and and the, from the very moment you see him, and you're like, how is he doing that? He keeps it up the whole movie. He kind of he kind of squints his eyes, and he he does he just has this dumb look on his face, and um, but then he's sort of pained, you know, because he know he starts to know things that he's doing are I guess aren't quite right, but he can't help himself. But then it's complicated because you feel like there's some real love there. Yes. There's real love between him and Molly, and he cares about her. Of course, it's at odds with some of the things that he's doing. Um, again, he's not the smartest guy, yeah. right? Like, he doesn't... He's he's played a lot and, smarter characters. And maybe characters. that's why. Is right. Because he doesn't have enough control over his individual yeah. agency to... You know enough enough fortitude to do the right thing, even when he kind of senses that. Right. You know, because he he's very much under the under the the spell of King Hale. Yeah. yeah. And and but then I watch Lily Gladstone, who I'd never seen before. She's a younger actress who, who's an who's an Indian actress who is playing Molly. Watch her eyes. It's so good. It's heartbreaking because you know what's going on. Yeah. She doesn't want to believe at first. There's a little bit of I'm almost, I would almost call it willful blindness or deliberate ignorance because mm-hmm. she's she's falling in love with 
DiCaprio's character. But early on, she and the other the other Indian women, they know, they use some, I think they say, coyote or fox. They have a name that they use for some of the white coyote. men. Coyote. Yeah. Where they, they know that, like, if a white man is marrying an Indian woman who's an Osage woman, they know that there's a probably a pretext for it. Right. There's an ulterior motive. Right. And but yet she she wants to love him she she wants to have a good marriage and have kids with him but like there's such um, I don't know how to describe it in her eyes to where she's suspicious of him but hopeful that things will go well and it's tough to watch especially as right. she gets she gets sick and certain things happen to her and that's that's um, the stuff that makes the movie watchable and yeah in, in not that sense in, not in the sense that it's not watchable otherwise but like. You're not watching it because there's all this suspense about who done it. Yeah. You're watching it because these characters are very real. Right. And because it's kind of this heartbreaking story and it's just engaging and interesting. It's, it's engaging, it's interesting, you know? and it's 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 shocking that it's true. And like Oppenheimer, which is kind of shocking true events in American history in the twentieth century, we have like sort of top filmmakers at the top of their craft, working with every resource imaginable. I mean, the huge budgets, the be- the actors that they get to handpick, mm-hmm. all the best cinematographers, um, l- like um, oh, I can't remember. It's is it Rodrigo Prieto? I think he's the same guy that did Barbie, which is so interesting. <laughs> it's the same cinematographer. Isn't that insane? For, like totally different movies. Also, he Killers got both of our number Moon. ones. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he had done. I think he did the Batman. But anyway, um, just really good cinematography, great music. Uh, um, like, like I, I said, love, I love the scene when they were fighting the fire towards the end of the movie. There's kind of like a brush fire. Oh yeah, and, and the whole thing is kind of shot in silhouette and mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, cool. that okay. was that was interesting. So, so here's yeah. here's my question for you then, okay. because so you mentioned that you know the book was more kind of driven by the FBI. In this movie, the FBI character doesn't even show up until practically the third act. Right. Yeah, Jesse Plemons. So, and maybe this is not a simple question to answer. Do you think that the movie we got was better for the changes, or do you think that if it had followed the focus and pattern of the novel, would it have been better? You know, it's so interesting. It's a different movie. Um, I When I first heard about the changes, I was upset. I really wanted it to follow it, and I was worried. I, I don't like to use this work but I was worried it was going to be like woke like oh we have to tell it from the the Indian woman's perspective or point of view Mm -hmm. because just that's just what we have to do nowadays and I thought they were actually going to like change facts like actually change key facts that happened and and that's where I was not happy but once I watched the movie it 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 kind of is a companion to the book it follows the book in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. it like I said it just takes the mystery out of it a little bit um, you get more scenes, and you get subjective scenes of, like, at least I don't remember from the book, where, like, the appearance of an owl means death to the Osage people. And there's some almost, I would call them hallucinations or visions of, of Molly um, and what happens immediately, like, right. what they believe with That's the afterlife. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. things in there that are not in the book, right? They're just, they're just not. And they, they were great for me. They were fine in, in the movie. Um, but like I said, I did not see it as... This wasn't just like this is only Molly's story. I I don't think she has the most lines in the movie. I don't know, but I think it's Di- I think it's DiCaprio, and then probably second is De Niro. I kind of thought of um, I thought of 
DiCaprio is the protagonist. I if, kind of if we had to pin down one protagonist, I yeah. thought that's who it is. Right. Even though she's kind of the sympathetic heart of the movie. She like definitely that's, is. That's the character we care about. She's the sympathetic. You're, that's a good way to put it. She's the heart of the movie, the beating heart of the movie. She's who you really want to to see succeed, I guess. And um, because it's just it's horrific. And in a way, it's. And maybe this is what makes it hard to watch is when you, you, as the viewer, you know what's happening, you know who's doing mm-hmm. it, but it's just sort of relentless and it goes on and on and on. And yeah, well, the killings like say, themselves. There's, there's no twists and turns. There's no movie. twists it's, and turns. It's a straight descending line. Right. And, and the killings themselves are, there's not a lot of drama to them. Some of them are just like 10 they're, second they're scenes. Very matter of fact. Right. Very matter of fact. And there's a there's like an extremely disturbing one of a woman with her baby in a carriage. And, and like some of them are just, there's a body lying in a Creek and there's, there was no investigation. There was no investigation, you know, like, yeah. Um, and the ending, well, actually, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but it's an, it's a very interesting ending. And and again, this goes back to my running theme of this list of storytelling, who gets mm-hmm. to tell stories because some have even criticized, and I don't agree with this by the way at all, but some have said that, this story should have not even been told by a white man, right? Like Martin Scorsese, who was probably the greatest living filmmaker, one of the top three or four. But like, in a way, the ending of the movie, he himself as the director acknowledges that, you know, and, and I don't want to spoil it, but I think he says, he, he acknowledges it in the way that he chooses to end the movie, um, which when I first saw it, I it was anticlimactic for me and I just didn't really like it, didn't really sit well with me, but I get it, I get why he did it. And, and maybe there's another story to be told, but I think the fact that he rewrote the screenplay and changed the perspective a little bit and point of view is like him acknowledging like, yeah, I'm, Interesting. I'm doing this different than the way David Graham did it. He was a journalist writing a book about a slice of American history. I'm, you know, it's, it's different, but I think he still got all the big moments in there. All the key facts that you would have mm-hmm. taken out of the book were, were all in there. So, you know, and anyway, I, I, I really, I liked it a lot. Well, I would think so. It's so one of my favorite Scorsese's, like of all really? of his whole really? film. Yeah. I would, I, I don't know what, if I could do it right now, but if I were to just rank it on my favorite of his, it's probably in my top three or four oh, yeah. of every Scorsese film. Wow. Okay. So can you guess mine? Oh, man. Um, can you give me a hint? Do you need a minute? Why? <sighs> Let me just let me just think. Let me just let me just think a minute. I'm gonna run through some movies. I I know there's Spider Verse, but I think you said it was a little too much for you. Maybe a little too frenetic across. No, it's not Spider Verse. Okay, not Spider Verse. Um, we already talked about Air. Uh, you didn't see Barbie, right? Correct. That's um, that's another one on my. Gotta see it. You liked Guardians Three. I did like Guardians 3. But not your favorite of the year. Okay. But it's not my number one. But you liked it. You didn't like it as much as Guardians 1 also. Right. But um, but who did really? I mean, that's that's sort of the pinnacle of Marvel. Um, gosh, what am I missing? Oh, is it 20 Days in Mariupol? No, that was one that just barely missed the top five. Okay. That's a good, uh, that's probably your top documentary though, right? Yes. Okay. Um, is it a foreign film? No. the john wick four no okay <laughs> it, so i don't know i'm not i can't play this game because no, you know me probably, i could name like 30 movies right so right. just you're, you're probably not going to come up with this one 
I, I went with the holdovers. Oh, I, sh- I should have gone there. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. yeah. No, this is, so this was the story of the, he's a teacher at a prep school in New England, set in 1970. He gets stuck having to stay over the holidays. Uh, go figure. Mm-hmm. Recording this in late December. Um, basically, the kids who can't go home for the holidays and are stuck at the school need to be supervised. He draws the short sto- He draws the short straw uh, for reasons that kind of inform his character. He's kind of a little tough to tough to deal with, tough to get along with. So there's him. There's the the woman who runs the kitchen and the kitchen staff. So she stays behind because she's still mourning the loss of her son in Vietnam. Uh, the two of them, and then it winds up just being one one of the boys who has to stay because mm-hmm. uh, all the other boys are able to be kind of whisked off on this this ski trip by one of the wealthy parents. Oh, okay. But the the one who gets stuck behind, they can't contact his parents who are newly divorced or something. Oh, okay. And so so it's the it's really kind of like this oddball three uh, odd, oddball trio. And they just spend the holidays together, and it's beautifully shot. There are some, these scenes early on, especially where they're just kind of kids trudging around in the snow on campus in in New England, you know, in December. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's Alexander Payne is the one who made it. It was the same guy uh, who did Sideways and some other. Uh, I think he did Election, some yeah. other movies. Uh, Paul Giamatti plays the teacher, who I think I mentioned this when I when I did my review. He. He's kind of, his character is what I fear becoming personally if I let my agitations get to me as a teacher, where he's kind of got to this point where he just goes out of his way to make his students' lives miserable because he sees them as just awful and Mm -hmm. nothing they do is right and then nobody listens to him. And of course he's justified because the kids aren't listening to him. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and, and so he has legitimate gripes that have gone so far to shape his his kind of attitude and stuff but uh so this is you know this is another kind of character driven drama really really funny but also you know there's some real sad moments and the more you learn about these characters and they they kind of have to get to learn to deal with each other and and you know they go they go off campus and they go on these little field trips and yeah they go to a christmas party at one point and and it's just yeah, it's I def- just a sweet, sweet movie that that uh, you know. I don't know. Maybe I've just got a thing for melancholy movies yeah. with with great characters and great performances. But uh, this is, you know, this this one's not going to get the same attention as Oppenheimer or even mm-hmm. Barbie. And, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, but between this one and and past lives like they were the ones that i felt really kind of connected to me just and and it's a personal thing like i don't i don't know all all of our work is very subjective right like our our reasons for loving movies you know have to have to at least to some degree boil down to our subjective preferences and stuff but maybe more so than than in a lot of years the movies I have chosen, I have chosen because they really spoke to me personally. That's good. And, that's and what so, you need to choose. Well, and I hope I hope that's not the case for you because I hope that Killers of the Flower Moon did not speak to you personally in terms of your <laughs> own. Like, I, I, 
I think you know because there's, there's a teacher in in holdovers that I'm yeah. related to. I you know well I, yeah. I really hope you're not relating to Ernest. In... No, I I'm not. I think for me it was just the 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 filmmaking and and the story and like the sure. the acting for sure. I was so impressed by it. I mean, I know he's not even going to be nominated, but DiCaprio it's like one of his best performances. Like I said, I mean, you just look at his. So face. he didn't get a Golden Globe nom- nomination for it. He might. I he probably did. I don't remember because they. They, they actually nominate twice as many since they do the drama and the music categories. So right, right. the acting nominations are just tons mm-hmm. of them. But I, I don't think he's going to get an Oscar nomination. I could be wrong. But anyway, like, I I mean, I just... I mean, you think about Scorsese's 81. We may not get any more. You know, might be it. Who knows? You know, you, just, you don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Eastwood is 91. He, Eastwood made some of his best movies in his 70s and early 80s. But, like, it's just... I appreciate it. I was I I was really quite pleased with it. But I I want to see the holdover. See, that's the thing is yeah, where I, I, think, I think some of these movies I haven't seen. It could like bump like air off my list. You know, like I I yeah, really well, think I, I would like way. it. I mean, I I do intend to. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna see Oppenheimer. I'm gonna see Barbie. Uh, one that I had totally forgotten about, but I'm kind of intrigued by is that. Uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Yeah, I've heard um, that's good, that's and I've never the, seen the Judy that. Bloom book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I still, I still have a few I need to cover. Um, so, did you see Leave the World Behind? No. Oh, okay. I saw that. No, one. No, I, I mean, I wouldn't even pretend to have any kind of a comprehensive authority this yeah. year. Uh, I saw some really good movies, and yeah. and the the movies, the movies that I named. Like if we were, because we debated about whether to do a top five or a top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, my top ten, as it stands right now, I'm pretty sure would be shuffled, uh, shuffled around if I saw a bunch more movies because there there were some kind of iffy ones on it. Yeah. Um, kind of the back half. Um, we don't have time to get into all of those. It's we've we've definitely gone a little longer than usual with this one, but I think this is probably well. There, it is there's a, a time it is we're going to go longer. List. Yeah. Best of you know, but. Uh, I, I I feel really good about the top five movies on my list. I don't think would be bumped out of the top ten, right? Even if I saw a saw bunch other more. movies, yeah. yeah. I mean the the ones the ones we've talked about tonight really kind of meant something to me. What was the Even movie? Godzilla. <laughs> I guess before we close, was there a movie that was like would you say is like six? Like would be just outside the top five? Well, you so named. you mentioned 20 Days in Mariupol. And yeah. what's really interesting there, and because I, I really think about this a lot when it comes to documentaries, because a lot of times I've found that the subject matter itself is so good that it just kind of carries the documentary. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I feel like, well, if I'm going to pick the best documentary, the best documentary should have good content, but it should be told in a special way. Yeah. And I wouldn't really say that 20 Days is told in a special way. It's absolutely just like I try to avoid this word because it's such a cliche with critics, but it's like it's a very riveting. Mm. The content is you just can't. It's incredible. Right. It's it's so powerful and it's so heartbreaking and just stunning. Um I'm going to have to watch but, it. But it's told in a very straightforward manner. And maybe if it was presented with more flair, it would take away from it. Because mm-hmm. there are 
there are other documentaries that you can tell that they're trying to elevate the material with kind of creative storytelling. You know, it could be talking well, or, it could, or yeah. it could be like interjections of animations to bring yeah. things to life, you know, and recreate events. And and Twenty Days is just it's just straightforward. I mean, in in one in a sense, is it even narrated or is it just not sound? Yes, yes, okay. it's it's narrated. Okay. Um, it's I mean. We talked about this before. I mean, it's the story about these these journalists who are embedded in in like the one, first one twenty of the days first, of the Russian invasion right, right yeah. in Ukraine. Um, what is interesting, is, especially as we're kind of talking about this, is that instead of being a refined, polished, stylized documentary, it almost functions as the raw footage for what we saw on broadcasts on CNN and MSNBC because these are. Journalists who are like they work for the AP. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's the Associated Press. Yeah. And so part of the movie shows their footage as presented by MSNBC or CNN or BBC or whoever. And so we see it first in their kind of raw firsthand interaction, and then we'll see it presented in the context of the news report. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a stylized thing, but but it makes the whole documentary kind of feel like here's just everything we shot, no frills, we're just going to put it out there. And then, you know, because this, because you saw bits and pieces of this when you were watching the news at night, because we were the ones actually mm-hmm. on the ground shooting this. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, other than that, I would just kind of say it's, you know, I, I kind of feel like if they tried to do anything fancy, it would probably take away from it because it's just, this is purely about the power of seeing what is happening to these poor people that is just shattering you. Yeah. And there's sometimes documentaries, they just need to let the images do the talking and, and you this, don't need this to is do one anything fancy. This is one of those. No fancy editing yeah. or angles or whatever. You just show what. So, so are we doing top sixes then? No, no, no. I, just... I was just curious. <laughs> I, I just wanted to know. Cause like, and maybe we'll just keep, we'll talk more um, off the record. And, but I, um, I was, that's why I didn't want to do a top 10 is I didn't even know what would really my six through ten you know yeah i probably fit spider verse in there though somewhere i so. i definitely considered it yeah um the the first one i can't remember what i had or what i would have had that year but it absolutely would have been in strong consideration for top 10 in what was it 2018 I think yeah it, came it was out. 2018 um this one i still enjoyed i thought the animation was fantastic i put it down as my top animation movie mm-hmm. i wasn't as crazy about the story it seemed it it seemed to go a little too far down the multiverse rabbit hole to really get super excited about yeah but uh i mean i would still take it any day over most of the multiverse stuff i've been seeing for the last two or three years but yeah. But we're being positive. Yes, let's these be are positive. the best. These are the best of 2023, and so, uh, and the end of the year, Mark. Thanks for a good yeah. year of, uh, you great, know, great year. Had some covered some good material, saw some good movies, enjoyed some, and you know, always a good time talking. So, yes, and uh, and thanks also to our loyal listeners who have uh, stuck with us not just through this episode, but through many, many through I guess 68 previous episodes. Wow. Which is which is pretty cool, and we will look forward to jumping back in with episode number 70 sometime next month. Until then, Happy New Year. <laughs>